Before we get started tonight, I want to be honest with you for just a few minutes, only these few minutes, the rest of the night, I'm just kidding. I'll be honest with you the whole night. But have you, have you, seriously, have you ever, have you ever found yourself like completely confused by God's ways? Like thoroughly confused. Okay. We got one raised, one raised hand. Have you ever found yourself maybe um, in a vulnerable moment, like wrestling with, with doubt? Right. Okay. Same. I'll raise my hand. Um, maybe, um, there's been some instances in your life where, you know, your, your efforts in God's name, like were, were pointless or maybe that outcome wasn't what you were expecting it to be. Right. I'll raise my hand again. Um, as I've been, um, thinking through, uh, tonight's parables, I'm reminded that honesty Right. Being honest is such a bright light, such a a beacon for authenticity and and for growth at the same time. And one thing that I'm reminded of is uh, there's a parable. I'm sorry. When studying the parables, there's a story in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there, but it's in Numbers 11. Just give you a little recap of it. In Numbers 11, we pick up kind of in I think it's in verse 10. This is where. The Israelites, so a little bit of history lesson, Old Testament, left side of your Bible in Numbers. The Israelites were once enslaved for like 400 plus years in Egypt. And then Moses came on God's command, led them out of slavery. And now where we're picking up in Numbers 11, they are in the wilderness. They're not quite to the promised land yet. They are wandering around in the wilderness. Now, mind you, I don't know exactly, we, we get a little bit of detail of what their enslavement was in Israel, or sorry, in Egypt, but we don't know all the nitty gritty details. But these Israelites are mumbling and murmuring and wanting to go back into slavery because they don't have any like real good food. All they're getting at the time is manna. And manna is this like edible substance and it's, it's actually a symbol of God's Covenant love, even taking the name, the bread from heaven. And Israel still is failing to grasp the significance of this gift that's been given to them. And their hearts are, like I said, they're, they're longing for the, the comforts of Egypt. And we know that they came from being enslaved in Egypt, and yet they're wanting to go back to Egypt because of all the things that they were comfortable with there and comfort, comfortable in there. And Moses is just burdened by this ungratefulness of the people, right? He is just, and he's mad. He's furious with, with God and with them of how could, how could you want to go back to that? And so we pick up in Numbers 11, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Um, and it says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of Yahweh blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to Yahweh, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and they say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. 
The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I might not see my wretchedness. And this passage here is kind of a a setup for tonight. And it, it serves as a reminder of my tendencies and of your tendencies. And we've got some tendencies to grumble, right? We've got some tendencies to stir the pot, not in a good way, when faced with the unfamiliar, what's odd, what's different to us to face the unfamiliar. And and it it actually calls us, this passage, to recognize God's constant faithfulness even when we fail to see it. God is always faithful even when we fail to see it. So in tonight's passage, we're going to see that life in the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus is talking about in the parables, life in the kingdom of God often unfolds in some very confusing ways some ways that just absolutely make no sense to us whatsoever. And in these parables, Jesus addresses the disciples' confusion, and he actually speaks to the broader theme of of some divine mysteries, reminding us all that God's ways often defy human comprehension. God's ways often defy our understanding, our comprehension. But our faith should not rest in our ability to decipher or to decode God. It shouldn't rest in that, but it should rest in the assurance that God has a masterful plan and it is beyond our understanding and it comes together in the ultimate sacrifice of his beloved son for you and for me. So even the smallest seed Right or the, the, the dullest or tiniest light of faith can grow into such a mighty expression of God's glory and God's grace. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, I invite you to open it up to, shocker, Mark chapter four. And we are going to pick up tonight starting in verse 21. So Mark four. Verse 21, if you don't have a Bible, there's a couple up here on the bookshelf that you can grab. So Mark 4, starting in verse 21. Just a quick reminder, this is the same day. So when we left in Mark 3, it's the same day. What we talked about last week, same day. Our Bibles are broken into chapters and verses, but this is the same day. And he said to them, he, Jesus, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? 
It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we praise you for your word and also for the many valuable lessons that it contains. Father, thank you for the protection that it affords and, and the treasures that are hidden in it. And may your word, God, be our daily bread, our, our, our daily sustenance and, and our life support. Father, knowing that it alone can keep us from the evil one and it can enable us to to live a life that is pleasing to you. God, we pray day by day that you will will teach us and you will train us through your word so that we don't go astray. Father, use us. Use us to guide others to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what we see in Mark 4, uh, 21 through 34, we actually um, are able to discover some insights about the kingdom of God that, that remind us that, like we said earlier, even the smallest seeds or the tiniest or dullest of, of light of faith can grow into or, or shine a bright and mighty expression of God's glory and God's grace. So think about it for a minute. I know this is hard to imagine unless like the power goes out and then your dad runs to the closet or the cupboard and grabs the box of candles. And then, so we have modern electricity, so it's hard to imagine. But think about this. You have this little minuscule mustard seed, okay? And it's so tiny that it can be overlooked. But within its unassuming shell, there's this huge potential for astonishing growth. And in the same way, right? In the same way, our faith no matter how small it is, no matter how small it is, it may, or how small it may seem like at the beginning, it carries within it this huge potential, this divine potential to, to flourish into a mighty expression of God's glory and God's grace. So in, in the parable of the soils that we talked about last week, Jesus lays out this, this vivid canvas where good soil springs to life representing those, those eager souls who not only hear the gospel, but they embrace it. And they embrace it with open hearts and nurturing this sacred seed until the seed bursts forth, right, with this symphony of, of an enduring fruitfulness. But in tonight's passage, we read that faithful hearers witness to others obediently. Faithful hearers witness to others obediently. And just as the parable of the soils, like last week, unveiled the hearts of those who encountered the gospel, separating those who would sadly turn away from its message, right, from those who would wholeheartedly embrace it. The following parables tonight, they actually 
they call us, that they, they beckon us to step into the shoes of faithful hearers turned passionate evangelists. So if, if you are in Christ, you, you and I, we are messengers of salvation. We are messengers of salvation. We are, we are called to, we are summoned to obediently and, and, and zealously proclaim the life-giving message to those who are in need. And Jesus so brilliantly chose to illuminate this truth. In verse 21, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. So you've got this, this quaint, small, little miniature pitcher, right? It's got this handle on it and it's got this saucer that it sits on and, and at the bottom of it, there's this like reservoir full of oil and when you light the spout part, it, the light shines and the light stays on, pulling oil from the reservoir. And this, this lamp is most likely placed on some ornate lampstand in the room or, or maybe on a shelf on the wall. And you've probably figured it out already. The purpose of this light is to what? Maybe you didn't. The purpose of this light back then is to what? Light up the room. Thank you. Good job. See, that would come after. To, to light up the room. To put it under a basket would be a very unwise thing to do. It would totally defeat the purpose of this lamp in a room, in a place in a room, to light up the room so that you could see. In Jesus' analogy, those of us who are fortunate to, to bear um, the gospel's luminous torch. We are, we are not meant to stow it away. We're not meant to keep it shrouded in, in secrecy. Instead, we're told to ignite its brilliance, right? We're, we're to cast forth its glow to everyone that will behold it. And Jesus uses light to unveil the message of the gospel. But there's a twist, There's a plot twist in here. Those who eagerly listen to this message not only have the privilege of embracing it for themselves, but they also carry the duty of telling, of heralding it to a world that is just soaked in sin. Just as a flame is ignited and transformed with a spark, those who have been Uh, set ablaze by the glorious news of the gospel, we are called to illuminate a path for others, inviting them to, to bask in the truth that has ignited our own souls. So the disciples, they're wondering whether the wisdom of the gospel is still being played out as a vital role in Jesus's plan to embrace the world. Remember, this is who he's speaking to right now. And what was once happening where Jesus was boldly traveling through Galilee, proclaiming the gospel with a passion, he's now choosing to clothe his message in in the riddles of parables. Jesus, though, confided in his disciples as we read. So we got to remember, it's the same day. And Jesus told his disciples, like what we talked about last week, but again, same day. 
He said to his disciples, to you, in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is, this is an announcement against like stubborn disbelief that has totally gripped the hearts of some people. And little did the, the, the disciples know that the Lord had a completely different plan in mind for them. So in just a few weeks, Lord willing, we're going to read about Jesus sending the disciples out into the world. And he's sending them out with this charge to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the gospel boldly and with conviction. And this was a very necessary and very vital next step or phase in their discipleship. It was, this step was designed to prepare them for this, this weighty commission that was waiting for them after the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 22, it, it talks about the fact that, that Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he, he never meant for the gospel to be covered in continuous Obscurity, verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest or, or to be made known, to be made clear, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So there once was this moment that existed, right? When the truth of the gospel laid covered in obscurity, it laid unknown. It was, con- it was concealed from stubborn hearts of those who resisted uh, the gospel's brilliance. But Jesus assures us that over time, the truth will unveil itself, right? But in the short term, imposters, they may disguise themselves, totally lurking in the shadows of darkness, lurking in the shadows of faith. But life goes on. Life goes on and those secrets, their secrets, will come to light. And light will be cast on them on the genuine, exposing on the fake. So students, not a one of us can overlook the evangelistic command as something only that the 12 were told to do. No, it started with them, right? We just read it. It started with them, but it continues throughout the long line of church history, throughout the chronicles of church history. Verse 23 If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That should sound familiar. He said it earlier. Last week we read about it. Verse 9. And the repeating of this should serve as an exclamation point to us, the reader. And it should serve as that exclamation point on Jesus' message. Meaning it's very important. It was repeated. Jesus is urging us. He's urging us as he is his disciples, to be fully receptive listeners. Jesus is is beckoning his disciples in verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. He's telling him, you've got to lean in. You have to listen intently because a fruitful hearer works expectantly. You've got to lean in. You've got to listen expectantly because fruitful hearers work expectantly. And the truth that Jesus shares in this moment, they're ones that are meant to take deep 
deep root within our hearts and within our minds. Jesus not only made this responsibility clear, but also underscored the critical significance of this commitment. His message has a promise of eternal reward. And it's a divine incentive to motivate us on our command, on our faithful mission to go and share. Verse 24, the last part of it, it reads, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So those who are passionately proclaiming the gospel, they can anticipate a reward a reward that is everlasting and that is bestowed on them by God. Jesus, in his promise, he assures us that God's blessings are not gonna merely align with our exertions, not with our efforts, but they're actually gonna transcend. They're gonna, they're gonna go beyond our efforts, like way beyond our efforts. With the measure you use, but even far beyond, still more will be added to you. So, if you are a devoted follower of Christ, we engage in this mission of sowing the seeds of the gospel with, with eager anticipation, fully aware that our commitment to this calling is going to yield a harvest in heaven, a reward that is, that is beyond our measure, just like the text says. Verse 25, for to the one who has more will be given. In, in Matthew's parallel account of this story, Matthew adds in, in uh, chapter 13, verse 12, he adds the phrase, and he will have an abundance. As faithful followers of Christ, as we share the eternal truths with others, we experience this outpouring of, of power, an, an overflowing fountain of joy, and just this unmatched sense of satisfaction and a heavenly reward that knows no bounds. But in exact opposite, in just a, a, a stark contrast, false disciples, they exhibit a distinct lack of fruitfulness. And Jesus cautions those who hung on his every word. He cautioned those that just showed up because everybody else was. He cautioned those that just showed up, listened, and walked away and did nothing. At the end of verse 25, it says, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So in, in, in your faith journey, in, in our faith journey, we're gonna encounter those who like the rocky and the weedy soil that we talked about last week. They appear right, to possess spiritual life. It, it appears that something happened. And they may boldly profess knowledge of God, right, but their actions, they tell us, they tell you, they tell me a completely different story. But when the day of judgment comes, not our judgment, but when the day of judgment comes and they stand before God, their foundationless house will be met with an end that is so catastrophic, leaving them with this sobering truth that true faith requires more than just words. True faith requires more than just knowledge. It requires more than just words. So as we are being fruitful listeners, there's a trait 
that should stand out in every one of us. And it's a dependence on God. Fruitful hearers, those who are actively listening, wait dependently. And this is, this is the, the heartbeat of those who really understand that while we are called to obediently share our faith and, and really anticipate transformation, the power to breathe life into someone's soul, that rests with God and God alone. Verse 26. And he, Jesus, said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. Believers, we are armed with obedience and we are armed with expectancy. We are like diligent gardeners who tend to the soil day after day, sowing seeds of truth and seeds of of God's love. But here's the mystery. Here's what doesn't always make sense to us. Here's where patience comes. Here's where relying on God is a must. Despite our efforts, right? You and I cannot make those seeds sprout into eternal life. We, we cannot make them sprout into a spiritual life. That is a privilege that is reserved for God and God alone. But we find ourselves really at this, this intersection of active participation, right? Sharing God's truth, sharing God's love with others, active participation, and a humble surrender. We are actively participating in sharing our faith, but we are surrendering the outcome to God. It's a partnership where we labor faithfully, knowing that it is God who ultimately brings forth that life-changing harvest. And this parable serves as a a perfect complement to the illustration of sowing seeds that we've talked about earlier in Mark 4. So imagine again, you're a farmer. You're taking on the role of a sower. Remember, we talked about last week that the sower in the parable is Christ. And if we are to reflect Christ, we are out sowing seeds. So we are the sower, okay? Imagine that. And we are scattering the precious seed out onto the fertile soil. And once this task is complete, we read in the text that the farmer does what? Goes to bed. He's tired. Long, hard day's work. He retreats for the night and and sleeps peacefully. But what's so interesting is that this farmer, despite his diligent efforts, right? He cannot coax the seed to sprout. He cannot breathe life into this seed. The very essence of its transformation remains a mystery to him. It's beyond what he can understand. But nevertheless, he patiently continues to cultivate hope by faithfully tending the soil day after day. And days turn into weeks at times. And night gives way to day. And that farmer, he does his usual routine. He goes out daily. And he's unaware of what's taking place beneath the earth's surface. And it's then that that miracle unfolds. The little green shoots emerge, breaking through the soil. The kingdom of God is like the seed. It, it grows 
Not by anything that we did. Not by our might, not by our knowledge, not by our understanding, but through God's sovereign hand. And just as the farmer patiently waits for the blossoming, the the harvest of his labor, we are called to trust God. We're called to wait patiently on God. We're called to witness this astonishing growth of God's kingdom in our lives. Verse 27, the, the latter half, it says, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The farmer's role is not to unravel the mystery. It's not to decode this mystery of how a a dormant seed that he is sowing, seemingly lifeless, how it undergoes a transformation into this plant. The evangelist, those sharing the gospel, we are diligent sowers scattering the precious seeds of the gospel. Jesus concludes this parable by emphasizing that the sower may not be the source of the grain's growth, right? The sower's heart still overflows with joy at the bountiful harvest. And this reminds us of the balance between our efforts, right, and God's providence. Remember, God is sovereign. Man is responsible. We're responsible for our efforts, We're responsible for going out day after day after day and sowing seeds of the gospel. But God is sovereign. Verse 29. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So even though we as the human messengers, even though we play no active role in the process of of regeneration, we are presented with the privilege of taking part in the spiritual harvest. And there's a key trait to those who truly grasp this, this life-changing power of God's word. And it's their unshakable confidence in sharing the gospel. Their unshakable confidence in sharing the gospel. And it's because that we understand that it is God himself who breathes life into his word and blesses our efforts. You and I must cultivate, we must work on patience and faith. Some of us more than others, I'm the first to admit, but we must work on our, our cultivating our patience and our faith. Why? Because when you step into the role of an evangelist, when you step into that role, you are not just embarking on some mission. You're joining a a divine enterprise that is carrying an unshakable promise of success. Jesus assures his disciples that the labor that they are about to undertake, that they're about to take on for themselves, would yield a harvest so bountiful that it would 
transcend. It would, it would go beyond the boundaries of their imagination. In other words, it would blow their minds what was about to happen. Verse 30. And he, Jesus, said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or, or what parable shall we use for it? So to the disciples, their task may have appeared very daunting, very I don't know if this is going to work. I don't feel strong enough to do this. I don't feel knowledgeable enough to do this. This may not work. God, yes, Jesus, I know you said it would, but have you met me? I don't know if this is going to work. But in verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, the gospel, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. At this time, the, the plant that the mustard seed would grow into could reach up to 15 feet high. I know we've seen trees taller than that, but this is one of the tiniest, smallest seeds. And Jesus likened the progression of the gospel to the growth of this mustard seed. And just like that seed, the gospel may start small, right? As you are, as you are sharing it, as you're going out day after day after day, it may start small, but with the nurturing care and the continual daily care and God's providence, it it flourishes into this magnificent tree, an inspiring testament of the power of faith. And Jesus's message becomes clear to his disciples. At this moment, this, the, the kingdom of heaven seemed like a small and, and inconspicuous as a mustard seed, but within it, it held the, the promise of an extraordinary expansion across generations and across continents. Just stop and think about it for a minute. For those of you who have repented, have turned from your ways, your sin, asked for God's forgiveness, and accepted what Christ has done on the cross, think about it. It, it began here. It began way back in what we're reading in our Bibles today. And it has obviously spread. It has obviously grown. Many, many seeds have been scattered, have been planted, have been watered, have been nurtured day after day after day. And, and somehow, not somehow, by God's sovereign plan, it got to the United States. It got to the state of Alabama. It got to the city, Dothan. And it's here. Jesus himself entered this world in, in a stable and, and rested in a manger. And he, he grew up in this unassuming town of, of Nazareth. None of the 12 disciples, none of them came from any prestigious background or any of them really enjoyed membership in Israel's uh, social elite club. They, like us, are characterized by moments of fear by moments of worry, by moments of doubt. And when Jesus faced arrest, they fled. They ran. 
even following Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven, the, the initial gathering that we read in Acts was in, in Jerusalem. It, it comprised just around like 120 devoted followers. And there were maybe a few hundred more in Galilee. But the kingdom of God, though initially small and modest in its beginnings, it unfolded like this, this majestic and this towering tree, right? Presenting security and, and blessings onto the entire world. Mark concludes this section of Jesus's parables with a, a summary statement. It's kind of summarizing this part of the day. He's like, hang on, it's the same day. I understand in the future that we're going to break it down by chapters and verses. No, he didn't think that. But he's summarizing what just happened. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He, Jesus, did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus discerned and and he addressed the present unbelief among the crowds, right? By, By giving them this wisdom through the use of parables, through the use of these analogies, through the use of these stories. But astonishingly, even their rejection of his teachings even that played a very vital and integral role in the unfolding of God's sovereign plan. What was hidden from the unbelievers privately was told to his own disciples and he explained everything to them. So what do we do with this? What do we leave tonight and do with this? I think one thing is, is that you must live out your faith in everyday choices. In everyday choices, you must live out your faith. I understand that we get busy. It actually breaks my heart when I hear a student or a teenager say that they're too busy. I was texting with my niece a while back, and she said that. And she's 13 years old. And I'm thinking with my adult hat, you shouldn't know what that means. You shouldn't know what that feels like. But we get busy in the everydayness of life. It's where school and and where relationships and and where our dreams often take center stage. But applying tonight's teachings, it becomes an art of intentional choices. And these choices, they're not random. No, they're, they're thought out choices. They're intentional. In today's digital age, you're bombarded. Your generation more than any other is bombarded with a constant stream of media content. Other people thinking, this is what's best for you, here. And to live out your faith in everyday choices, you have to learn how to filter what you consume. You have to learn how to filter what you consume. You gotta ask yourself, does this movie, does this TV show, or this social media post align with Christian values. Let me help you with something. It's not just the ones that are obviously bad. There are so many that may be shared with good intentions, but still are just as bad as those that are obviously bad. That's where discernment comes in. That's where the wisdom of God comes in. Read James, seek true wisdom. 
We have to make intentional media choices, keeping our heart and our mind focused on Christ. A second thing, you have to share your faith with friends and family. You must. For those of us in Christ, it's a command that we have to own. Remember, we don't own it and store it and keep it to ourselves. We don't hide it away. No, we have to share it. It is made to be shared. Its purpose is to be shared. And one of the most effective ways that you and I can share our faith with friends is by building authentic and meaningful relationships. You gotta be open. You gotta be honest from day one, conversation one. You gotta be honest about your faith. And instead of immediately going into those theological discussions, right? Everybody wants to go there fast and quick and and straight there. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? What about that? Although many people really want to go there real quick, not many people want to stay in those conversations. They get awkward real fast. But we have to actively listen. You have to actively listen to your friends' concerns. You got to listen to their questions. You got to listen to their life experiences. You must show empathy and and share your own experiences, right? Your own struggles and how your faith has impacted you personally. You have to make your faith your own. We talked about this last week. You cannot borrow it from your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa, whoever you seek to for that godly person. You cannot borrow or own or take their faith. You have to make your faith your own. And over time, these authentic conversations, they will pave the way for a deeper discussion about who God is, who they are, and their need for a savior. So tonight's message, it it speaks not just to Uh, the older of us or the wiser of us in the room, but it should resonate with you guys as well. Our world is loaded with distractions. It is loaded with the allure of instant gratification, right? And sometimes it can diminish the significance of believing, having faith in God. But tonight's text stands as a testament to the truth that no matter how small your faith may seem, when tended to with obedience, with anticipation of of God's sovereignty, with dependency on God and a firm confidence in God, it has the power to grow into a mighty expression of God's glory and God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we confess before you, God, with just hearts full of, of reverence for you. Father, you are the creator of everything, the sower of the truth and the giver of life. God, we, we praise you for your timeless wisdom. God, Tonight where you, you reveal 
the power of faith that is small as a mustard seed, yet, yet capable of, of producing extraordinary growth. God, your word is a beacon of light in our lives, guiding us through the darkness of this world. Father, we, we adore you for your unfailing love and, and your boundless grace. And we confess that there have been so many times when we doubted the, the potential of our faith. We've allowed the, the cares of this world to overshadow your promises. God, forgive us of the moments where we've, where we've failed, for the times that and we had the opportunity, but we neglected to witness obediently, God, to work expectantly or to, to be patient and to, to wait dependently, or maybe even, God, to walk confidently. But help us to overcome our doubts and to trust in your sovereignty. God, as we... We're ending the night, God. We, we entrust our lives into your hands, knowing that you are the, the master gardener who, who tends to the seeds of our faith. But God, may our lives, like the mustard seed, may they be a testament to your glory and to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.